0: I love the wonder of Christmas. Maybe you've experienced it, uh, a moment of surprise that catches you off guard, or perhaps a a moment of inexplicable beauty and grace, something that's just hard to, to wrap your mind around what you're experiencing in that moment. We've been exploring this whole month about the wonder of God and the gift that he's given us at Christmas. We've talked about the wonder of life itself, I don't know how many of you have had the the privilege to hold a, a newborn or a baby in your arms and just look in their face and just be overwhelmed with the wonder of life. We've talked about the wonder of God's word, that we have an unbelievably loving God that he doesn't just move in our life, but he tells us what he's going to do before he does it so that when he does it, we can know that it was him who did it. I love that about God. We've talked about the wonder of God's call. That the God of the universe, who could do whatever he wants to do, invites you to join with him. And tonight I want us to reflect on the wonder of the greatest gift that's ever been given. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a season of gifts. Uh, I don't know about you. Maybe you've got some uh, wonderful gifts planned for tomorrow. Anybody, you're anticipating tomorrow because of the gifts you're going to give? You're super excited about that. How many of you are excited about like, this is the year, like you wrote the perfect letter to Santa and you know he's coming through and this is the year you've been waiting for and you're just pumped and excited about tomorrow because of the gifts you're going to get. Anybody? There's a couple of people. You know, I went down the rabbit hole over the last couple of weeks thinking about the season of gift giving. And I was asking the question, what are the best gifts that have ever been given? And I came across several. I wanna share three with y'all tonight if that's okay. All right, three of the most crazy, extravagant, wonderful gifts that have ever been given in history. All right, here's one of them. In 1947, uh, this is President Truman, for his birthday, he received a bowling alley that they put in the White House. Like, uh, anybody, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're giving a bowling alley to somebody. Anybody? I mean, that's a pretty extravagant gift. Or what about this one? In 1972, Elizabeth Taylor received from her husband a 68-carat diamond as a gift. Guys, it's not too late. Uh, you got a few hours before tomorrow. You can still make it happen. Uh, A few years later, in 1978, this sold for $6.6 million. Or how about this one? Let's go further back. In 1917, there was a banker by the name of Morton Plank who traded his six-story mansion for a pearl necklace. You can see his wife wearing it there. Pearl necklace from Cartier. Uh, We talked it over in our family, and we would rather have the mansion than the necklace. But that's still a pretty extravagant gift. Guys, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how extravagant or how expensive or how unbelievable. There is no gift that has ever been given or ever will be given that matches up to the gift that we've been given. That we celebrate on this night that God so loved the world that he gave his son. He came into the world. That we could have life and hope, we could have joy, we could have purpose, we could have uh, uh, understanding that life never ends. When we trust in Jesus, we've got eternal life and heaven is waiting for us. There's nothing that can match up to that gift. And yet sometimes we take that for granted if we're really honest with ourselves. And so what I want for us tonight, maybe it's the greatest gift we can give to each other, is to recapture a wonder at what God has done. So let's look together at the story in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You ever heard the phrase, it's a Christmas miracle? Uh, It usually happens in a movie or a show or maybe it's happened around you in life where something crazy happens, unexpected, amazingly beautiful or surprising and somebody from the background, usually a little kid, will say something like, it's a Christmas miracle. Like everybody's all excited. Listen, if there was ever a Christmas miracle, it was on this first Christmas. Christmas. And it wasn't just because of the miraculous conception of the child, the Son of God, the Messiah. I mean, that's a miracle for sure. But there's so much more to it. In fact, all of the circumstances surrounding this event, when they were put together, were absolutely miraculous. And I want us to, to just pause a moment and be in wonder and awe of these things that happen. So as you put the picture together, it begins with the first miracle as Mary and Joseph travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, the 70-mile journey would have been difficult in and of itself, but, but I would ask you to consider that perhaps it's not the journey that was so significant, but it was the places from where they came and to where they were going. In fact, I would argue that it was incredibly miraculous and incredibly specific that it was these two towns, that God had a plan and a purpose for what he was doing. Why Nazareth? Well, Mary and Joseph were were living there, of course, but God had a plan and a purpose. Nazareth was actually a town founded by a group called the Netzerites. It comes from the Hebrew word Netzer, which means root, and they saw themselves as the root of Jesse from the Old Testament. In other words, what they believed is that the one who is coming, the Messiah, the Savior, the King who would restore Israel to be God's people would come from them, the root of Jesse. And so they established this town, Nazareth, believing that the Messiah would come from their town, from their people. In fact, most generations, mother and father would tell their son, you might be the one who will save our people. And so it's from this town, that Mary and Joseph set out. And where are they going? To Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread. Remember when Jesus would later say, I am the living bread. And it's also the the city of David, the town where David was born, his hometown. And we remember from the Old Testament that this Messiah, the one who would come to save, would come from where? The line of David. David. But not just that, Bethlehem was significant for one enterprise in the first century. And it was the home to the Levitical shepherds. Who were the Levitical shepherds? They were the shepherds who were raising sheep for one purpose, which was to take those sheep to the temple where they'd be sacrificed for the sins of God's people. So it was in Bethlehem, the house of bread, where the living bread would be born to be the Lamb of God. And this was fulfilled and brought together with the message that the angel brought to the shepherd so that none of us would miss it. Which brings us to the second event, which is that the baby would be wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now remember, Mary and Joseph, they go to Bethlehem and the text tells us that there was no guest room available for them. Now why? Well, certainly in part because of the census. All these people converging on Bethlehem, everyone from that hometown going back to their home to be counted. But we can't miscount the scandalous nature of Mary's pregnancy either, right? Nine months pregnant and clear that she's not yet been married. And so she's knocking on the door of her family and people are thinking, well, not here, not with that. And yet maybe a a generous, maybe a gracious family member finally raises their hand and say, okay, you can stay with us, but just not in the house. We're gonna put you out back. Because every home in Bethlehem was, was built connected to a cave. The caves all over the place. And usually back in the cave is where you kept the animals, the donkey, the livestock. And it was in this place, in the manger, where Jesus would be born. Now why is that important? Again, remember, this is the home to the Levitical shepherds raising the sheep to be born for the temple for the sacrifice. And when a sheep was ready to give birth, that shepherd would take that sheep they would carry it in their arms and they would go to a cave nearby where that sheep would be born, where that lamb would be born for the sacrifice. And immediately after the birth of that lamb, that shepherd would wrap that lamb in cloth to prevent it from being harmed, to prevent any blemish so that it could be perfect for the sacrifice. See, this is where the alarm should be going off. The light bulb should be coming on. When John the Baptist later told his disciples, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. And the shepherds certainly would not have missed this significant series of events to know that this was the one. See, many waited for a Messiah that they thought would be a prophet. Many waited for one who they thought would be a priest. Many waited for one they thought would be a king, and yet here was Jesus prophet, priest, and king in one. And then finally, to make sure that we don't miss it, God sends an angelic announcement to the shepherds. I don't know what kind of extravagant plans you may have. Like some of you are more creative than others and you've got some kind of, you know, scavenger hunt or, or maybe you're one of those cruel ones and you've wrapped a present in nine different boxes and, you know, you've got all these kind of things going on. But how many of you are planning an angelic pronouncement over the gift that you're going to give tomorrow? Anybody? Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us can pull that off. But God, so that we wouldn't miss what he's doing, sends an angel to the shepherds. See, God is doing what only God can do. And that we might not miss it, he made it clear. The one that they had been waiting on for hundreds of years had finally come. And so the shepherds, they go and, and they go to see this thing and they, they tell others and they're amazed by it. A couple of years later, we've got the magi that will come and they will worship this king. And we think about the gifts that the magi bring, the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh and And many of us tomorrow will will exchange gifts with one another, remembering the gifts that, that were given. But I want us to reflect on not the gifts that were given to Jesus, but did you know that Jesus came with gifts too? In fact, God gave this great gift into the world, the gift of his son, but it also came with bonus gifts. I love a gift that comes with bonus gifts. And this is the gift that keeps on giving because Jesus came with gifts for us that when we receive him, we get all these other things along well as well. Well, What is it that God brings? Well, God brings some certain gifts. First, he brings great joy. In verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, I've got good news for what? Great joy. Now, here's the truth. Some of you, are celebrating this Christmas with a lot of effort because there's not a whole lot in your life to celebrate right now. Maybe it's that loved one who's not here. Or maybe it's the circumstances surrounding your life right now. Maybe it's a dream that you had had fallen through. Or maybe you've let somebody down or somebody's let you down and and you're sitting in the midst of that. And this is why it's good news. Because in spite of all that, we can have great joy. And we have great joy for two reasons. And I I promise you these to be true for your life. And here's the first is that you matter to God. I mean, this was the message of bringing Jesus to the world is that you matter to God. See, this gift might not mean a lot to you, but it meant everything to God. It cost him everything he had. And he brought it to you because you matter to him. And the second truth is that whatever you're going through, it's gonna be okay. Now it may not be okay in the way you want it to be okay or the way you think it should be or the way you've planned it to be or in your timing, but it's gonna be okay. And if everything falls apart in this life, when you follow after Christ, at the end of it all, you're gonna look in his face and he's gonna welcome you into his kingdom and it's gonna be okay. And so we can always hold on to these two promises. We matter to God and because we matter, he's at work in our lives for good and it's gonna be okay. And so whatever the circumstances are around us, we can have joy. Maybe you're struggling and we can be like all those many, many saints who come before us and cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm not feeling it right now. Would you restore the joy of my heart? But it's not just joy. We also get God's presence. And in verse 11, the angels are, are, tell the shepherds, that if you go to this place that you will find the Savior of the world has been born in the city of David. And who's the, city, the Savior of the world? It's the Son of God. It's God in the flesh. You see, we have what the Old Testament saints only dreamed about, what they longed for. You go back to the Old Testament and every once in a while, God would show up with what we call his manifest presence. He would be present in a way that we could experience it. It might be a cloud by day or a fire by night. Uh, It might be a burning bush. Uh, Maybe you're lucky and you're like Abraham and God shows up in a human being and you get to have a conversation with the living God. But this wasn't always and forever. It was moments spread out over history. And then God looks at us and he says, no more. And once and for all time, God stepped into creation. Why? So that we could have a face to see, kind of a voice to hear, have a life to experience and understand who God is. And then even after Jesus rose, he went back to heaven after he died on the cross and he rose back to life, he goes back to heaven. And then what happens? God sends the Holy Spirit so that no more will God's people be without his presence. That is an unbelievable gift that should move us to awe and wonder. Not just joy, not just presence, but Jesus brings with him real hope. In verse 12, the shepherds are told, you'll find the baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. And we talked about how the shepherds would have certainly known the significance of this, that this is the Lamb of God. No more do we have to bring sacrifices. No more does it depend on my behavior or my track record or my reputation. But I can receive salvation by faith. That all that the Old Testament saints believed by faith would come has come. And that we can receive the gift of that by trusting in him. And so we have a real hope I'm going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but many of you have heard me say, as Christians, what do we have? A relentless grip on hope. We never lose it. Because it doesn't matter what's happening around us. God's at work. And then number four, we have lasting peace. Did you catch what he speaks through the angel to the shepherds? What they cry out in praise to God? The angelic song to the Lord in verses 13 and 14. Glory to God in the highest and what? Peace on earth. For who? For those on whom his favor rests. Did you know that as a follower of Jesus, when you put your trust in him, God's favor rests on you? That's a pretty big gift. Meaning his grace and his love and his effort is at work in your life. And whatever you're walking through, maybe you've got some internal struggle, you got doubt, you got fear, you got worry, you got anxiety, and you can cry out to God and say, Lord, I trust and believe that your favor is resting on me. I want to hold on to the hope of peace. That you bring. Maybe it's external and your whole world is turned upside down and it's topsy turvy and you're not sure what's gonna happen. And you can cry out to God and say, Lord, my circumstances are not speaking it to me, but your truth tells me that I have peace in you because you're at work. Or maybe it's a relationship that's torn or strained and, and you know that there's nothing you can do to fix it. And so you cry out to God and say, Holy Spirit, move and bring peace in this relationship because you're a God who redeems and brings reconciliation. And you bring peace because your favor rests on me because of what your son did for me. And I believe it by faith. So we've got some incredible gifts to receive, joy and presence and hope and peace. So my question to us is, are you prepared to receive the gift? Are you just going to go another day and go through the motions? That's some beautiful, beautiful gift that God brings to us. He wanted us to see it and know it was from him and receive it. And he's brought this beautiful light. You know, John chapter one says, the light came into the world. Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew 2, we see the magi and they follow the light of the star. Here in Luke 2, we see the shepherds overwhelmed by the light of the glory of God. And God brought that light into the world that we would receive it. And here's the beautiful thing about light. Don't miss this. The smallest, tiniest little light can never be uh, spelled out, dispelled by the darkness. You can have the deepest darkness and one tiny light will shine through. And I love the shepherd's story. They say first, well, let's go and see. And they go and they discover this gift. And then they say, well, let's go and tell. It's like the greatest show and tell ever. And the people are amazed. See, here's what God is calling us to. It is not to light up the whole world. It's just to light up your world. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate this gift of light with the lighting of candles as we remember that God came into the world. And we celebrate this light and remember the light that God brings. And we think about the light that we shine. That to share the love of God just means to light my candle and keep it lit and hold it up. But just like this candle, you can see it's burned down a little bit, right? Not a whole lot left to this candle, Let this be a reminder for us that our time to shine our light is limited. It's never too late to get started, but there's a countdown. But here's one thing we can do as we shine our light is that there are others who come behind us and we can pass the light on. And even when this candle goes away, this one will continue to shine. We go and see and we go and tell. So again, are you prepared to receive the gift? I love what God does. His reputation is that he doesn't wait on us, but he makes the first move. It's exactly what God did. He made the first move toward you to be born in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Because he is the living bread. All that you need to sustain you, to nourish you, to give you life is found in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He does not want you to miss it.